This is our final week of our series in James. And we've taken eight, nine weeks. This is week nine of our series to go through this book of James. And, and the book of James is a pretty short book, actually. Just, just five short chapters would probably take you 10 uh, to 15 minutes, maybe 20 minutes to read the book of James. But we've taken nine weeks to allow God's word to breathe and to challenge us, to speak into our lives. And, and if you're just joining us for the first time today, no worries. Here's a quick flyby on what we've been talking about. In week one of James, uh, we, we talked about dealing with trials and temptations in life. And I don't know if you, you faced a trial or temptation recently, but, but if you have, James, he speaks to that. And you can check that out in week one. Week two, James reminded a scattered church. James was pastoring this church that, that couldn't gather together because they're being literally killed for their faith. And so James, he writes this letter to a, a scattered church and he tells the church to cling to the word of God. In the midst of trying times, the midst of all these ups and downs, the midst of all the ambiguity, the midst of the uncertainty of the season, we have the word of God that's an anchor for our soul that does not change. And James just said, hey, church, cling to the word. Week three, we, James assumed that people were going to be gathering together in small groups because they couldn't gather together for our large group gathering. He, he gave kind of a, a small group pep talk. And he just said, hey, treat people fairly. Like, don't show favoritism. Matter of fact, love people like you love yourself. And that was week three. And week four, uh, James said, hey, you have a faith that works. But if you want your faith to work, then you got to you got to work your faith. And that was week four. Week five, he talked to us about the importance of taming our tongue. Because check it out, like not only do your words impact you, your words impact everyone else around us. And James actually tells us that, that the words we speak set the direction of our, our lives. Like how vital is that? And then week six, James said, hey, you know what? There's two kinds of wisdom. There's wisdom from heaven. And he, he's like super blunt. He's like, or you can live with wisdom from the devil and you get to choose. And we talked about that in week six. And then week seven, the students did a great job with this message, unpacking uh, James' challenge to us and invitation as we, we battle, we have, we have battles within ourselves and, and shout out to Ben Joseph and Grace Salone. What a great job they did with that. And then uh, week eight, last week, we talked about this eternal attitude because James says, hey, your time here on earth, we, we get so consumed, right, with right here, right now. But James just reminds us in light of eternity, your life is a mist, it's a vapor, it's here, it's gone. It could literally be translated like a, a wisp of smoke. And you see it, then it vanishes. And that's our life. And he just reminds us, he encourages us to say, hey, live life in light of eternity, in light of what matters. And today, he's closing out this book of James, week nine. And James has been given a super practical advice for daily living. And he closes with this topic of prayer. He goes from this very practical and he steps into this supernatural because I believe prayer is what brings it all, ties it all together. And so I'm excited to dive in. We're going to look at four observations on prayer. And then we're going to talk about, about three observations of how we can build our, our faith. And so to die, the title of today's message is, is prayer of faith. How do we be people with prayer and faith. So let's just jump into to this section of scripture here in James. So, so James chapter five, uh, verse 13 through 16, it, it, it reads this. It says, is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. And it's almost like comical, right? Like for you, anybody in trouble? 
let them pray. Like, like for James, his, remember, he's, he's talking to a scattered church. They're literally being killed for their faith. Like they're not, no longer in home. Like, like they, have, they have distance learning going on for their kids. Like they're no longer in school. They're, they're no longer around their family. They're their scattered church. And he's like, hey, anybody in trouble? Let them pray. And, and it almost comes across as lacking empathy. It almost comes across as like, Christian cliche, right? Like whenever you're really going through it and someone says, ah, well, maybe you should pray. That almost comes across as, as offensive. Is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. But James knows something that we need to know too. And that is that your enemy hates it when you pray, because whenever you begin to pray, whenever you begin to, to take hold of heaven and call out on God, the enemy is in very real trouble. So he'll try to make you feel like you've blown it. He'll try to make you feel like you're not good enough. He'll try to make you feel like God hears everybody else's prayers, but he's not going to hear your prayer because he wants to silence the church from prayer. But listen, church, we got to set aside our feelings and call out to God because that's when we step in from the natural into the supernatural in our lives. When you pray, you're throwing down the gauntlet. When you pray, you're saying no more of this. We're going to have a whole lot more of this in this situation. When you pray, you're saying no more of hell in this situation. We're going to start to experience some heaven here. When you pray, you're saying no more defeat. I'm going to know some victory. When you pray, you're saying I'm no longer a victim of life circumstances. I'm going to my father the source with the solution, the king of kings. He calls me his kids and I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna pray. And James says, hey, are you, you in trouble? Let him pray. And then he says this, is anybody happy? Let him sing songs of praise. And I would just argue that this is just another way to say, hey, you need to pray. Because when we, when we sing songs of praise, it's now when we gather together as a church, when we lift our voices to heaven, it's not mass karaoke. We're not, we're not gathering together to see, see how wonderful we can sing. No, we're, we're gathering together to pray, to say, God, you're worthy. God, you're awesome. God, you've done great things before, and I'm believing you to do great things right here, right now. And he says, hey, are you in trouble? Pray. Are you happy? Sing songs in prayer, in praise to God. Lift your voice. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Which, by the way, we, we still do here. We believe this. We believe this is for today. And so if you want the elders to, to pray over you, to anoint you, man, we'd be, we'd be honored to do that. He says, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Now, why would he focus on prayer at the end of this letter? After all James has unpacked, why does he pivot to prayer? James has been dealing very practically for the past eight weeks. Now he shifts to this very spiritual topic Prayer. Listen, the Bible tells us to work out our salvation. James told us if we want our faith to work, then we need to, we need to work our faith. And there's some things that we can do on our own, right? Like we can make up our mind today to treat people fairly. We can make up our mind today to say, you know what? I want to love people like, like I love myself. We can make up our mind today, say, you know what? I'm not going to let myself talk like that anymore. Like I'm going to learn to tame my tongue. I'm going I'm to speak some words of life. I can make a decision right here, right now to say, I'm going to do that. 
But all of us face situations, all of us face circumstances where, where we're, no matter how hard we try, we just can't break through. And James is saying, if you need some supernatural help in your circumstances today, you need to pray. You need to pray. Here's our first point. If you're taking notes, write this down. If, if you're not taking notes, write this one down anyway, because it's, it's pretty good. Prayer is the difference between the best I can do and the best God can do. Prayer is the difference. Here's what prayer is. Prayer is the difference between the best I can do and the best God can do. That's why we, we, here at Central, we start off every year with 21 days of prayer and fasting because I don't want the best I can do. God, I want your best. When we gather together as elders, we pray. Why? Because we, we don't want the best we can do. We want the best God can do. As a team, we, we, we pray every day. Make prayer a priority because prayer is a declaration saying, God, I don't want, I don't want the best. I, can, I, want, I want your best in my in my life, and James says, after you've applied all those things that I've talked about over these past eight weeks, if you still have some trouble, well, you need to pray. And the second point is this, that, that prayer puts my unknown future into the hands of an all-knowing God. When we pray, we're putting our unknown future into the hands of an all-knowing God. And here it is again, James 5.13, is anyone in trouble, let him pray. The problem with the problem usually isn't the problem, right? Whenever I face a problem, uh, it's usually not the problem itself. My, my concern goes to another problem, which is how is this problem going to play out? Whenever we, we look at the pandemic, we wonder, man, now that we're kind of starting to see some light at the end of the tunnel, our, our problem shifts to another problem, which is how is this going to impact a generation? How, what's the ripple effect of COVID-19 on our society? The problem is no longer the problem. It's, it, it becomes to a greater problem we worry about. Whenever we have relationship challenges, the issue is no longer the issue. Uh, the issue is the unknown. How will this land? How will this impact the people involved? How will this impact people I love? But we forget sometimes that prayer puts my unknown future into the hands of an all-knowing God. God hasn't been pacing the floors of heaven for the past year. <laughs> Some of us have. But God, he's still on the throne. He's still got it under control. He's still... He still has it all together. And when we pray, I put my unknown future in the hands of an all-knowing all God. That's why Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 31 through 34. He, he says this. He says, so don't worry. <laughs> Easier said than done, right? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? What about my job? What about my 401k? What's happening with the stock market? What if I lose my job? What if I have to make layoffs? What, what are we gonna do? He says, wait, wait, don't worry about any of those things because check it out, the pagans run after all those things. Like people who don't have a God worry about that stuff. But, but, but not, so, not so for you because your heavenly father knows that you need them. But here's what you need to do. Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, he, doubled down, he doubles down again. Do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow, it's gonna worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let worry be your alarm clock, reminding you it's time to put your unknown future into the hands of an all-knowing God. And then third, third observation about prayer is that prayer puts my hopeless situation into the hands of an all-powerful God. James says this in James 5, 14 through 15, is anyone among you sick? And that word sick 
right here. It, it could literally be translated. It's used both ways. It's used as physical sickness. It's also used as, as spiritual sickness, spiritual weakness. It, it could literally be translated. Is anyone physically weak? Is anyone spiritually weak? And some, there's great debate over like what, what he's talking about here. But my, my thought is it's yes. I think it's both. If you're physically sick, spiritually sick, physically weak, spiritually weak, let them call for the elders of the church to pray over them. Anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. That still happens today, by the way. Spiritually sick people get healed. Physically sick people get, they get healed. We've experienced, I've seen it with my own eyes. But you don't just have to, don't just believe me. Uh, sometimes it helps to hear this from another, another source. And so I want you to hear from, from my buddy Josh here in the Central Family, his story of how his dad experienced this passage in real time. Check this out. My name is Josh Potter. I am uh, a member here at Central Christian Church. I've been here for about five years. My dad, when he was in his young 20s, um, was diagnosed with colon cancer. And at that time, there was not a lot that they could do uh, medically. Um, he ended up with um, kind of a new test procedure um, that was um, to remove his uh, large intestine. He'd gone to uh, a doctor's appointment uh, for a follow-up and checkup um, where they told him essentially, hey, things, um, things didn't work like we were hoping. Um, it was kind of a trial procedure. It was a, a surgeon who invented um, this new procedure and my dad was one of the first people um, to have it done. Um, so he went um, to probably what was a really difficult um, doctor's appointment. And um, over the next couple days, um, as he tells the story, he kind of resigned inside himself um, that he knew he was going to have to start wrapping things up. There was a gal at our church who was an elder named Pat. Um, and obviously in our family, we've got a, love for, a lot of love for um, Pat. Uh, but she heard what was going on and asked my dad um, if he had uh, been anointed with oils and prayed over before. Um, so the, the elders gathered, they set a meeting, and, and they did just that. The, the next um, doctor's appointment that he had, the follow-up appointment, everything was right back where it was supposed to be. So he went from, um, hey, we're really sorry, this didn't work, to, in the, in the span of uh, a week or so, being right back on schedule. It's so interesting thinking about the story that um, it wasn't even my dad who came um, to the elders to ask for that. It was, it was Pat, and she was the one who saw an opportunity to have big faith um, and help my folks out. It's, um, it's similar to me when I hear my dad tell the story to um, in Daniel when we hear the story of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Um, having the faith to say, here I am, God, um, we're going to pray, we're going to do these things, my life is in your hands. 
Um, if you choose to heal me, if you choose to save us from this fire, that's great. But if you choose to use us in another way, if, if you choose us to use us as martyrs, is what um, Daniel, or what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said. Um, having that type of faith is, is pretty amazing. And I think sometimes having that type of faith for our brothers and sisters in Christ, for our friends at church, for people that we know, um, when they're struggling, is, uh, is a big way that we can help each other out. How awesome is that? That's worth, uh, we're celebrating right there. And, and the psalmist said this, he says, says, you're a God who performs miracles. You still display your awesome power among your people. And that's what James is saying. You're still a God who works miracles. You can call for the elders of the church, anoint them with oil, and the prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the, the Lord will raise them up. And that's awesome. Whenever we experience that breakthrough, when we experience divine healing in our physical bodies but also, also raises some questions about, about healing. And that is, is the reality that not everyone who gets sick experiences divine healing, including the Apostle Paul, by the way. Like if anyone was spiritual enough to receive healing in their physical body, surely it was Paul. Like this guy, he loves God. Like he's experienced crazy spiritual experiences. But here's what he said in 2 Corinthians 12, eight through nine. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take, a, take it away from me. He had this, this physical ailment. He, he called it a, a thorn in the flesh. And a lot of scholars believe he had an issue with his, his, his eyes. He says, but, but I pleaded with God, God, would you take this away from me? But here's what the Lord's response was. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And so therefore, Paul says, therefore, I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on, on me. Like here's a spiritual man praying for God's divine healing in his physical body, but God has another plan. I'm just saying sometimes he has another plan. Another observation about, about physical healing is that everyone who experiences physical healing still experiences physical death. When you think about it, think about everyone in the Bible that Jesus healed at one point, they died. You think about Lazarus, like, like this guy in the Bible named Lazarus, he was dead. Like the, the King James Version said, he stinketh. Like he, his body was decaying, he stinks. And God supernaturally heals him physically, raises him from the dead. But you know what? One day, Lazarus, he still experienced a physical death. And so we should pray for divine healing, absolutely. I hope, I hope today as we look at James that, that your faith is sparked, that your faith is built and you believe God for healing physically if that's what you need. We should pray for that because it testifies to God's divine healing power, but more importantly than, than physical healing is spiritual healing because physical healing is temporary, spiritual healing is eternal. Proverbs 14, 32 says this, the wicked are crushed by disaster, but the godly, they have a refuge even when they die, eternal. Second Corinthians 5, 8 says this, yes, we are fully convinced that, but we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we'll be at home with the Lord. Like there's coming a day when, when no more pain, no more sickness, no more ailments, no more COVID-19, no more mosquitoes, no more rashes, no more Chicago Cubs. I mean, it's gonna be an awesome, an awesome day. 
But here we are. And Paul's just saying, I long to be there. But, but while I'm here, I'm going to, it's not like I want it to be. But there's coming a day when, when God's going to set everything, everything right. Or in the words of 1 Corinthians 15, 54, it says this. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. That's going to happen. And more important than a temporary healing right here, right now, is this spiritual healing that will last forever. So you can say at the end of your life, death has been swallowed up in victory. That's what God has for us. That's the ultimate divine healing. And I think God allows some people to have a tiny taste of physical healing on this side of eternity, but the healing we all long to experience is when our earthly bodies wear out and God gives a transformed body that will last forever. But until then, until we experience that, let's just remember that prayer, prayer puts my hopeless situation in the hands of an all-powerful God. And I'm so thankful for for Josh's testimony. I'm so thankful for for many of you who've experienced physical healing in your body because it testifies that God is an all-powerful God. He works in the midst of hopeless situations. Aren't you thankful for that? I love this passage in Romans, Romans uh, 4, 18 through 21. Uh, It's this guy named Abraham. He's experiencing a hopeless situation. It It says, even then, When there was no reason to hope, check this out, say this with me, Abraham, he kept hoping. He kept holding, there was no reason to hope, but he just kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. Why? Because that's what God promised him. For God had said to him, that's how many your descendants will be. You're going to be a father of many nations. He didn't have any reason to hope, but he just kept hoping. In verse 19, and Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though he was about a hundred years old and his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. He goes on to say this. He says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. And that's my hope for you. That's my hope for you today, that you wouldn't waver in God's promise. I just believe that some of you have received a promise. Don't waver, even though you can't see it, even though it doesn't make sense, cling to the promise. He didn't waver in believing God's promise. In fact, he grew stronger in this and he brought glory to God and he was fully convinced that God was able to do whatever he, whatever he promised. It might like look hopeless to everyone else, but, but prayer puts my hopeless situation in the hands of an all powerful God. Listen, if he said it, it's gonna happen. If he promised, it will come to pass. Everyone else might doubt. Everyone else might tell you how it won't happen, but everyone else is looking at the natural. Everyone else is looking at the, the, the physical, but, but our invitation is to look what we cannot see with our eyes, but we see the unseen. We look from God's perspective and we believe in the God who raises the dead. He calls people. He calls things that are not as though they were. And if he gave you a promise, even if you can't see it, hold to hope, unwavering. Let your faith grow stronger, just like Abraham did. So here's what we learned about prayer. Prayer is the difference between the best I can do and the best God can do. Prayer puts my my unknown future into the hands of an all-knowing God. Prayer puts my hopeless situation into the hands of an all-powerful God. And then fourth, finally here, prayer puts my broken life in the hands of an all-forgiving God. Prayer puts my broken life 
in the hands of an all-forgiving God. Here's what James says in James 5, 15 through 16. He says, if they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. If it's the prayer of a righteous person that's powerful and effective, the question then is like, well, who's righteous? And the Bible's pretty clear. Like there's actually a verse that says there's no one righteous, like not even one. And that's a bummer because that's the kind of prayer that, that's powerful, that's effective, James says. And so here's the deal. Even though, though we've, we've made mistakes, the, the question is, well, who's righteous? And here's the answer. A righteous person is simply someone who's had all their wrongs made right. Well, none of us are born that way but we can all experience that. All of us can experience having our wrongs made right. And that's what a righteous person is. Their wrongs have been made right. So then the question is, how do I have my wrongs made right? And I'm glad you asked because it's found in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. And here's what it says, in Christ, in Christ, your wrongs, all your wrongs, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've experienced, in Christ, everyone can experience this. Their wrongs can be made right. In Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so that we could be put right with God. You could be made righteous. This can be you. It's available because of Christ. You can be made right. Romans uh, 10, 13 says this. Check it out. For everyone, including you. Everyone, including that person that you think would never come to Christ. That person you maybe think so far, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we can be made right. So, so you can qualify for this, not because of the things you've done, but because you've been made right with God. And now James shifts from prayer to building our faith so that our, our prayer life can be activated through faith, he shifts gears here. And, he, and so in James 5, 17 through 18, it says this. It says, Elijah, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. Like James knows where your head's going. He's like, well, hey, like that might work for some people, but not for me. Like you need to call somebody with a title in front of their name to pray for you because like, I don't think that's gonna work for me. Like I, my prayer, I'm not sure God even hears my prayer. And Elijah, like, or James, he, he knows that. And so he's like, hey, check it out. Elijah was a human being just like you. The, the two most prominent men in the Old Testament by most Jewish uh, standards would be Moses and Elijah. And James is saying, hey, Elijah, he was a man just like you. He, he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Like, think about that. Like, let's not just brush over that. He prayed and it didn't rain for three, three and a half years. That's a drought. That's a long drought. That, that causes economic collapse. That's a big deal. Three and a half years. And it was a person just like you prayed, God answered in that way. Again, he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crop. What's James, what James is trying to teach us here through the story of Elijah is pray. You gotta pray. God is a God who answers prayer. God is a God who desires to do big things in your life, in your family, in your work environment, in your city, and you gotta pray. And I think James not only is telling us that we need to pray like Elijah, but we need to have faith like Elijah. 
And so here's Elijah, here's the story that, that James refers to. It's found in 1 Kings uh, chapter 17, verse one. It says this, uh, now Elijah, uh, the Tishbite from Tishbe, which I think is funny. Like, why is Elijah the Tishbite? Well, because he's from Tishbe. It's just, okay, it's funny to me. Uh, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said, Ahab, as the Lord your God, the God of Israel is whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years, except, check this out, except at my word. This is when the three and a half year drought begins. But the drought didn't just start because Elijah said so. Elijah had a word. I believe Elijah heard from heaven, here's what you need to do, Elijah. And he goes, he tells this king of this nation, Ahab, this powerful man, hey, check it out. There's gonna be a drought for, it's gonna be a drought. And it goes for three and a half years because he, he had a word. He had a word from God planted in him. And I'm, I'm just telling you, that's how faith works in your life too. And here's the first point. Faith begins with a word. Faith begins with a word. When you're going through a tough situation, get a word. When you're going through a season that you don't know, you, you, gotta, you gotta have a word, but how do you get a word? Well, we get a word from God through the word of God. Now, I, I know that sounds super simple, but, but grasp this. If you want your faith to grow, you, need a, faith, you need, a, need a word from God. And we get a word from God in the word of God. And here's what I'm trying to say. God, God wants you to have a word from him so that you can walk in the same faith and power as Elijah. But to get a word, you gotta be in the word. And so like, I'm not trying to be unkind or in your face, but I just, kind of my responsibility to ask you this question, like, <laughs> how, are you reading your Bible? Like, are you in the word so you can get a word? Are you looking to God's word daily to fill you with faith and God's perspective on what you're experiencing in life? If you're not, you're not gonna have faith. And if you don't have faith, your prayer life won't work. And if your prayer life isn't working, then it's all up to you. But if you don't want it to be all up to you, if you want God's help, well, then you need to pray. But when you pray, you need to have faith. And if you're gonna have faith, you gotta get a word. And you're gonna get a word from being in God's word. That's what I'm trying to say. Romans 10, 17 says this. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Check it out, when I'm in a situation where I don't know what to do, when I'm in a situation that just really feels like it's putting the, the clamps on me, the first thing I try to do is just get a word. Like, God, what are you trying to, can you give me a word? I know what I can see, but God, maybe you see something different. Would you give me a word? Uh, for example, living here in the Bay and, and trying to raise our kids away from, from family, and I, I, I'm concerned for my kids sometimes, I'll be honest, raising them in the Bay Area culture. But I just cling to this word found in Joshua 24, 15. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Like my kids are gonna grow up, they're gonna serve the Lord. The circumstance, the geographic location will not hinder the promise of God. We're gonna serve the Lord. There's been times this past year when I was concerned about the pandemic or the economic collapse or about my family and their safety. And, and sometimes I would just, uh, here's a good fact, I'd get alone by myself in the bathroom and I'd look in the mirror and I would read this. This Psalm, Psalm 91, two through three. This I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety, my God, and I trust him. For he will rescue me from every trap and protect me from every disease. You gotta get a word. 
Maybe concerned that you're going to lose your job or have to face layoffs. Philippians 4.19, and my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in, in Christ. I mean, get a word. Get a word, and then you stand on the word so you can show up in faith and not fear. That's what we got to do. That's what we're called to do. Who, who needs you to show up in faith and not fear in your life? Get a word. Pray the word. Talk to God about it. Stand on the promises of God. It will come to pass. Here's what happens in Elijah's story in 1 Kings 18, 41 through 42. It says, and Elijah said to Ahab, so, so he says, says, go eat and drink for, for the sound of, I hear the sound of heavy rain. So three and a half years have passed. And here's Elijah and he goes to the king. And he said, hey, you know what? It's about to rain. The only problem is it's a bluebird day. Like there's not a cloud in the sky. So Ahab went off, he ate and drank, but Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. And he went there because it's a bluebird day. And he's like, I gotta pray. I gotta call on God. We, we, gotta, we gotta figure this thing out. And so at the mount of, top of Mount Carmel, he bent down to the ground. He put his head between his knees and he prayed. And maybe that's a word for some of us rather than texting everybody about the problem, rather than posting about the problem. Maybe we should just get alone, put our head between the knees like Elijah, just, just call out to God and pray. But the second observation is that, that faith builds when we determine not to give up. So, so Elijah, he doesn't have any reason to believe this. He doesn't have any physical sign that this is going to happen. But, but his faith continues to build, doesn't give up. And I would just say this, uh, I know I'm your pastor, maybe I shouldn't say this, but, but I've never wanted to quit more in my life than I have these past 12 months. But I've just settled into this conviction that my faith will build if we don't give up. Don't give up. Look at me, church. Don't give up. Don't give up. Allow your faith to build. Faith builds when we determine, it's a choice. It's a conviction. I'm, a deter I'm not going to quit. I'm going to hold fast. I'm just going to wait for God to show up. That's what Elijah does. First Kings 18, 43 through 44. Uh, Elijah says this. Uh, he tells his servant, go towards the sea. So he goes towards the coast there in Israel. He told his servant, uh, and he, he looked up. And the servant says, hey, there's nothing there. Like it's a bluebird day. Elijah said, he didn't say, well, well, I guess I missed God. He didn't say, well, I guess I'll throw in the towel. Well, I guess maybe that was last night's pizza. Maybe that wasn't really a promise for God. Maybe that works for them, but it won't work for me. He doesn't say any of that. He says seven times, check that out. Seven times, Elijah said, go back, go back. And I know some of you have been praying for a situation for a long time. And as I was preparing for this message and praying for you and thinking about you, I just sensed that, that maybe some of you have felt like, man, I've received a promise for God. In, in a situation in my life, and it's still a bluebird day. There's no sign that, that God's working in that situation. And maybe for you, a word from God is don't give up. You, you keep praying seven times, Elijah say, go back. You go back, you keep praying, you keep pressing in. The seventh time the servant reported a cloud, uh, as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Like it wasn't a storm coming in. It was just like a small cloud. And Elijah said, hey, go tell Elijah, go tell Ahab to, to hitch his chariot and go down before the rain starts. Like, like it's going to come, rain's coming. It's not just going to be a little bit. It's going to be a whole lot. 
you go before the rain, before the rain stops him. And what is that? It's an example of endurance. It's an example of, of perseverance. And James actually taught us about that a couple weeks ago. But here's another reminder in Hebrews 10, 36 through 39. He says this, you need to persevere. Persevere. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we, are not, we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith. We're saved. Don't give up. 1 Kings 18, 45 through 46 says this. Uh, meanwhile, so while, while Elijah's told Ahab this, like there's cloud is small, very small. He's like, hey, it's gonna happen. The rain's coming. The drought's about to be over after three and a half years. Said, meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose with heavy rain and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. And the power of the Lord came upon Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt and he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Ahab's in a horse, with a horse and a chariot going to Jezreel. Ahab's like, he starts trucking it and he passes him. I don't, I don't know if you read that. I'm like, What? And you say, well, how does that work? And I'm just saying physically, that is not possible. Man cannot outrun a horse, but rain doesn't appear on a bluebird day. And I'd say, you're, you know what? You're right about all that stuff, but God hasn't called you to live a normal life. And he didn't call Elijah to live a normal life either. He's called you to live a life of faith. And here's what faith does. This is the third and final observation. And that is that, that faith breaks through the natural into the supernatural. Faith breaks through the natural into the supernatural. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 26. He says, hey, some things in your life with men, impossible. But with God, all things, all things are possible, including what you're facing today, including what you're processing today, including that situation that seems impossible. It's possible, it's possible with God. And so here's a question What's the greatest miracle of all? Like James talked to us about some crazy stuff, like physical healing, anoint people with oil, prayer offered in faith will, will, will heal the sick and God will raise them up. That's pretty wild. We looked at this guy named Elijah who prayed it wouldn't rain. For three and a half years, it doesn't rain. That's a miracle. That's crazy. Elijah, like he tucks his cloak in, like the power of God comes on and he outruns horses. That's crazy. But James, he closes with this. He closes with these words in, in James 5, 19. And, and if I'm writing you a letter, if I'm your pastor and we can't gather, we haven't been together, I don't know where you are, I don't know, I'm, I don't know if you're safe, I probably wouldn't end a letter like this. But James wants to remind us of the greatest miracle of all, and you can experience it today. And he says this, my brothers and sisters, if anyone should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Here's what James is saying. He's saying, I, I hope your impossible situation turns around. 
I hope you experience breakthrough in that area of your life. I, I hope I hope you call out to God. I hope you have the elders pray. I hope you experience physical healing. I hope you have faith to trust, believe, to persevere, even when you have no reason to believe, trust, and persevere in what you see. But the greatest miracle of all is that you can impact someone's life for all of eternity. And James closes his letter to a scattered church like that. And he lets the weight and the honor of those words just hang there. I probably would be like, hey, tell the family hi. Can't wait to see, I can't wait to gather. I can't wait to give you a hug. I miss you. But James, he, he closes with this. Let's see that verse again. He says, remember, don't forget this. If you forget everything I've said, don't forget. Remember, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. So what's the greatest miracle of all? The greatest miracle of all is eternal life. Not that you experience it, but you can participate in helping others experience it as well. Remember that. Let's pray. Well, God, we thank you for your love, for your grace, for your faithfulness, God. Thanks for your power at work in our lives. Thanks God for reminding us that we are people just like Elijah and just as profoundly and powerfully and supernaturally as you worked in Elijah's life, you desire to work in the life of everyone listening to this today. So God, would you help us to step out of the natural into the supernatural through prayer? God, would you help us to build our faith by, by building into your word, God, to help us glean from your word, to get a promise from you and to cling to that no matter what. And God, as we move into these 14 days of hope leading up to Easter, God, would you help us not only to experience hope, not only to receive hope, not only to, to, to encounter hope to us, but God, may we heed the, the, the promise, the reminder from James that, that we can participate in the greatest miracle of all and share hope with others. So God is... As we kick off 14 days of hope today, would you ignite passion in the heart of your church to be disciples that make disciples, to live life on mission for you, remembering our time is short and applying all that James has taught us throughout these nine weeks. God, we commit that to you in Jesus' name, amen.